ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour, it's Cofield and company, a championship winning Wednesday. Justin Watkins is here. Willie Ramirez is at the Battleborn Broadcast Center back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Damon has been chiming in throughout the show. And uh, hour one, we went through uh, some of the emotional moments uh, in the post game. I was crying a bunch around 3.30 watching uh, Marshy with his kids. Seriously, I, I, I really, I got a kick out of that, all the kids on the ice. Um, we also made a strong statement to the rest of the country and especially Canada bitching about Vegas. Basically, chin flick up yours. So we did some of the angry stuff early, but we got to get Justin's take. Because again, Justin is one of the original like 175, you know, big contributors, fans. That, that's This stuff is important to remember yeah. in the history of this. And when, you know, a lot of Canadian fans and then, uh, you know, fans in the NHL who live in the, some of the dumps around this country are jealous of us. Uh, let's go back first. And then we'll talk about the game last night and then talk about the future. Um, when you first jumped on board and we were having conversations about this, we didn't have major league sports. We were not a known entity. We were a risk. We were worried on this show. Like, Hey, if this doesn't go right, we ain't getting anything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams could have you know, predicted that any of this stuff was going to happen to this level. Not the success on the ice, not the success in the the seats, uh, butts in the seats. You know, they've sold out every single home game for six years. Um, you know, I think that people believed that Vegas would support a professional sports team, but it had been dangled so many times in front of us, and we had been used as leverage so many times. Yeah, we had listener John write me a little earlier. I read his message, and he's like, you know, when people say this is easy – this was like 20 or 25 years coming about, you know, basically being bandied about as pawns mm-hmm. and being played, you know, to be the clown. Right. And and I remember, so funny enough, when we first got uh, the team and they first started winning and moving on and, and we're about to make the playoffs, you know, I had some buddies back east and they were, you know, that are writers and they had somebody come out and kind of go around the city and just start asking. And they were basically asking me who they should try to talk to to get a feel of what was going on. And from my perspective, you know, I was a, obviously I was alive. I was 11 years old when the Rebels won the national championship. And I and I remember being proud of that. And I remember, you know, from as a Vegas kid, you had like Greg Maddox, you had Andre Agassi, you had you had a couple people that made it seem OK to be from Vegas, you yeah. know, and because when you go elsewhere, you know, I traveled I traveled the world wrestling, you know, I, literally other countries and and all throughout the United States. And when people would hear Vegas is kind of like Vegas, what the heck? Um, and, and they had these identities that they would wear on their sleeve. You know, I'm from, you know, whatever it was, Michigan or Minnesota. And this is what we, you know, they had this identity, this community and this community identity that I didn't feel like we really had in Vegas. You know, we were just known as a transient town, you know, shift workers uh, and construction workers. And that's, what we were known as. And and so us kids growing up didn't have so much of an identity other than dirt bikes and BB guns. And, um, and I think for, from my perspective, for sure in my adult life, like the getting the golden night and then showing support for them was one of the first instances in my life of, you know, born and raised first instance of my life where I feel like the community of Vegas got to show its identity to the world. And I, 
and nobody knew what that was going to look like. And I'm super proud of what we showed. Justin, just because we're going to touch on this in a little bit, Steve, you teased it earlier. He just said something that's so poignant and will be so relevant to a conversation that we're going to have. Repeat what you just said, that it was your first time you felt what? That we got to show that we had an identity, that this community Because could show you were one of the first hundred investors and, and season ticket, and you were a part of it, right? Yeah. Now, at 11, you could take pride as an 11-year-old because of the, of the UNLV. Right. It's a perfect example as to why some people are going to think that's the biggest, last night was the biggest championship, whereas someone like me mm-hmm. is going to say UNLV's first because I was older than you, right? Uh-huh. And I was vested as someone who watched them play at the rotunda i watched them i remember i vaguely remember that final four in 77. i certainly remember the 86 because i i hung out with those guys yeah they were they would go to the clubs there was no social media ruin that yeah. we're going to get more into that but there, you, that's a great point yeah. which you just said because it's the first time you felt fully vested that was something that you were a part of it was yours and that you got to and we got to show something about Las Vegas. For you, that was your first time. Yeah, well, no, I think the I think the Rebel Championship's number 1. I do. Oh. I th- I do think it's number 1. <laughs> I, know that I said all that for you, nothing. You know, but but I but I I'm just going to say like the what people thought of locals in Las Vegas back then around the world yeah. is there was no identity from the outsider's perspective of what vegas residents were i mean right. i tra- went in 80 89 90 91 92 i'm literally traveling nationally and internationally and some people literally back then would say oh what casino do you live in mm. right that's that's the knowledge that they had of this community and i felt like you know yes some stars aligned for this to be magnified but us supporting a hockey team that hockey team supporting the community during october one and for us to to bring those two things together to sort of heal and put that on the national stage, I I think that the rest of the country sees Vegas a little bit differently today than they used to. And a bunch of that has to do with the Golden Knights. It does, 100%, because it's the spotlight. You know what I mean? And we could have said that eight months ago with the Aces to a degree right um but it's also there's also it's i mean the way things are covered social media it's a lot different than 1990 espn was there in 1990 but there wasn't much else you didn't have twitter you didn't have instagram you know you didn't have instant i mean how many videos went out last night on twitter or tiktok or you know what i mean so yes i mean 100% the exposure is on a grander scale mm-hmm. and the town is bigger there were less than a million people when UNLV won the national championship. Oh, there was yeah. around 700,000 people that lived here based on the census in 1990, right? We're over 2 million people now here in this town. And when you look at media markets, I think we're in the top 40 just outside of it, maybe. So, yeah, but, well, here's the other big thing that's, that's changed in, in my lifetime. Um, you know, I'm 44. So since, since I was born and how it is, is now is, you know, if you know anybody that's within like three or four years of my age and they're Vegas native, I either know them or we have one <laughs> degree of separation. Yeah. Like there is not a lot. But if you get into the, the kids now that are in their 20s, there's a ton of kids in the 20s now who are born and raised in Las Vegas. Yeah. And we never had that identity. We didn't have that in 1990. 
We didn't have that. You know, now we have kids who were born and raised here, and they wouldn't think of anything other than to cheer for a Vegas team. Right. Right. Oh, there was my, that gap. Yeah. My generation, you cheered for your parents' team, wherever they were from. You picked that, and that's that's why I cheer for the Chargers and the Padres. My mom, my mom's from San Diego, so that's what I picked. My dad's from Pennsylvania, you know, and I wasn't in Pennsylvania is too far away. And everybody's parents were for, from somewhere else, and so they identify with some other team somewhere else because we didn't have any professional sports team. They, now we've become this professional sports town, and there's a whole bunch of people that all they've ever known is Las Vegas. They're born and raised. They're super like my kids are super proud of Vegas and to be born and raised here. And they they love wearing Vegas as their identity. I didn't feel that way so much as a kid because it it wasn't that glamorous thing for kids. Right. It had that for adults, but not for kids. Uh, and my kids love it and I love that they love it. I think there's the, and there's that 80s gap yes. where, because you were saying like back when you, you remember your teenage years, you didn't have what we have today in these kids that were born and raised. Whereas when, just that 10 year 20 15 year gap when i was come, growing up here in the 70s we did have that yeah. it bothered me that i couldn't say i was an actual native because i was born in new york in 69 and moved here in 72 so till still to this day i don't claim to be a native i'm just an old school las vegan yeah. but i won't disrespect that phrase because there are people you know especially some of my good friends in the media like jimmy Gemma, john l smith they're natives yeah native nevadans but the point is when I was growing up in the 70s, there, we did have that. So there was a small gap when you started to see the people filter in. Then, like you said, in the 90s, and then people like myself started having kids. Now, those kids that are in their 20s, they were born and raised. Yep. So it's uh, definitely a pride-filled state uh, Just, city. Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, in with us here at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. 766-1400 is a number to call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. <laughs> Willie Ramirez is the company. So what did you guys think last night first with uh, Justin? of Cassidy kind of having the awareness of the misfits and right out of the gates, he's like, all right, guys go. Yeah. You know what? And I caught that right off the bat because he doesn't, he doesn't start Carlson line uh, very often. He did, uh, I believe once in the uh, Edmonton series, he put him out there against, uh, uh, against McDavid, but generally speaking at home, he's starting the fourth line. Uh, and, and so, immediately when the first one they announced was riley smith then they went carlson i'm like oh my god he's gonna start all the misfits and so i was like trying to tell everybody around me i'm like they're starting the misfits and you couldn't you couldn't talk to anybody at that moment like they couldn't hear me nobody could understand the conversation um i thought it was awesome and then i was like oh we better not lose after after here's he starts it. it it took some balls to do that here's the thing i say ever since hockey's come here I say this to me, I, and I don't mean a disrespect toward you, Justin, but I saw other people, I've heard radio people talking about that nationwide, NHL network, everybody. It's the silliest thought when somebody, when you look at that, you go, because the, 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 he also had the two original defensemen, right? right. So uh -huh. he had the, the misfits. The only person, the odd man out was William Carey. Right. Misfit line. Mm -hmm. It's a two minute shift. No, I know. And at any, like I always say, the, the fourth line starting, in my opinion, right then and there, that's your top line. It's not your top line, but in a sense, it's only two minutes. So it's not going to adjust or change anything. They're not going to. I, I it, it's, it was just funny to see that reaction, a worrisome, 
oh my God, I hope that this isn't a big mistake. What's going to happen? Oh my goodness. It was just funny to hear that because I'm thinking it's really not a big deal. It's, it's almost, you know what I thought of when I heard it? I was like, it's like senior night. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> that's but I, was... I guess from my perspective, it's it's awesome that Cassidy, first year here, that Eichel, second year here, that Quick, first year here. You know, all these guys who, who are, you know, just recently got on to this team and affiliated with this organization still pay so much respect to those original six. Yeah. You know, that's cool because they don't have to, right? Yeah. I mean, they don't. You know, Mark Stone was a second year. He doesn't need to. He could be like, hey, man, yeah, that was a cool little run. But, <laughs> you know, my team. my team, I'm captain. I'm the first captain, and we're going to run from here. Like, pre-Mark Stone doesn't exist. and just, right? But I think ultimately from two different perspectives, that original season was so important to this city that we hold on to that. It was important enough to the organization that they can maintain that culture and keep those you know, some of those people around. And I have to say, I have to, you know, the national media has been very good about this. They have changed the narrative back around from, Hey, you know, Vegas gets rid of everybody. And, you know, they made two now. Well, Hey, that was six years ago. And there's not very many teams that still have six starters from six years ago. So maybe their turnover isn't so bad, and they made some tough decisions that have now paid off. They're gambles. Mm -hmm. Some of them are real gambles, but it worked. We're going to talk about the gambles, and maybe if uh, some of us who had criticized some of the gambles should be uh, apologizing today and on your point about changing over the team. That's how you win a lot of times. You want to win? You got to make changes. You got to be aggressive. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Battle Warren Broadcast Center, you heard it. Reno's in. Vegas is here. You can call the guys and gals at Battle Warren Injury Lawyers in Reno, Henderson, or Vegas at 766-1400. We're uh, reveling in the Stanley Cup. Victory for the Vegas Golden Knights. Willie's here. Justin Watkins is here. Justin is a season ticket holder. Massive hockey fan. I'll say the number one most knowledgeable attorney when it comes to hockey in this market. Okay. And then I'll outside of this hour, I will have to compliment someone yeah. else. Yeah, there's a lot of attorneys in, in my in my little seating area. And Are there? Is that <laughs> yeah, right? They're everywhere. They're all throughout <laughs> my seating area. But, you know, I, I'm still going to claim the number one spot there. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, it. you know, we were talking about uh, criticism from outside the area. Oh, this was easy. And people don't know the history. And I, I've said this for years, doing shows now for uh, locally since whatever, 2004, right? So like 19 years. For me, this is like sports Siberia to the rest of the country and Canada. They know nothing about Vegas. They mm -hmm. don't know what's on the ground here. They don't know our history. They don't really. They, and they also they don't reach out. They just make assumptions. And, you know, there's this stupid conversation about the baseball team and us only having 2.2 million versus what the Bay Area have. It's like. You have no idea what you're talking about. And one of the things that they don't realize in the story of the Vegas Golden Knights is just how relevant that first season was and one October. Mm -hmm. And we started to hit on it a little bit, and we all have a different experience with that. I'm just going to say, I'll be totally honest, and I'm not trying to insult anyone. I was here, and I don't, I don't have the same connection that others do. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But I, I know for others, like we had Kevin Higgins on, who's going into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and he's an assistant coach. With UNLV baseball, he played for the 51s, you know, made the major leagues, you know, was here in 94, the Rebels, like, but his connection with uh, 1 October is really intense because he was there. He was mm -hmm. at the concert, right? right? 
And then there were people who were around all the, the tragedy, um, but people outside the area are not going to know that, not mm-hmm. going to know what that event meant. And then within a couple of days, here are the nights, and they jumped right in, feet first, to help. And there were special moments during the games. So, you know, I, I don't mean to you know throw it like, hey, what does it mean to you? But yeah. that is part of the history with this team now winning a cup in six. Oh, I think it's a critical part. Like, you, you can't mention Vegas, the Golden Knights, the relationship between this city and that team without mentioning that October 1 was really the cement that bound us together. You know, like, I think <clears throat> I think that we're really we've really become a hockey town, yes. you know, and um, I just don't think it's likely that that would have happened under the same circumstances if they didn't have some sort of situation to show us as a community that they cared and wanted to be there with us and give us the outlet. I do think it would have been successful only because it was the first, but let's say A's Raiders golden Knights are the third one into the market. Now, do I think this town would look the same and have the same relationship with that team? No, I don't. Like, no, I don't. Nor do I think like a fraction of the number of kids who are starting up in our youth hockey programs now would be there. Our youth hockey is good. Mm-hmm. Like they win these tournaments when they go nationally and internationally. Um, you know, when before the Golden Knights came and they uh, opened up the two uh, practice facilities. I think that I saw a number of there was about 100 kids in youth hockey here. Right. And now there's over 5,000 kids in youth hockey. And the only reason they're at 5,000 is because they don't have enough ice to go to more. That like the men's beer leagues have to play at midnight because that's the only ice time that yeah. they can give oh away. My God. That's right. And so, you know, I think we're a hockey town. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I do think, you know, Vegas does like a winner. But I'm going to say this. What happened last night? is going to earn them a lot of followers even during the lean years. Yeah, they have a lot of equity moving yep. forward. Lots. Yes. And if there's going to be, hey, but, you know, the approach is F them picks, right? Yep. And, you know, load up. Great players. <laughs> and everyone keeps saying, hey, you're going to have to pay the piper. Maybe they don't. I think that's one of the fascinating things in the offseason. We can get to that. Um, you know, there's great stories on the team, too. And I know NHL fans are somewhat aware of these stories. But when you're on the ground, you cover the team. You know, going into the the playoffs, Mark Stone, I mean, is he going to play? Is he going to be any good? And the guy's had two back surgeries in 13 months. Uh, I want to play a bite from Stone on Pat McAfee this morning. The beginning of the bite is him talking about the fans and what the fans here mean when you get off to a good start. It'll quickly transition to, hey, bro, like, what were you thinking about the playoffs and the possibility that you were going to play? Once we get those te- teams on their heels there, that building gets going. You can win a game in the f- first five minutes there. And when the team's playing well, it makes it easier to come to the rink every day and, and grind out the grind out the rehab process. There's some there's some lonely days, don't, don't get me wrong. Once the team got in the playoffs, I knew I was coming back. I wasn't missing this, man. Right? Yeah. I wasn't missing this, man. That didn't mean he could play, though, and be anywhere near 100%. And he had a great... Stanley Cup playoffs. But remember this. He had an awful first game. That Winnipeg game, it did not he did not look comfortable. Did not look like he could skate. It looked like he was in pain or or at least compensating for it in order to avoid being in pain. And you know, one of the things that's happening on the national narrative that is complete garbage is that there's like this 
cap circumvention that went into place in order to we're going to sit Mark Stone so that we can circumvent the cap and end up at 92 or 96 million. Like if people really believe that we wanted to sit Mark Stone so that we could add Jonathan Quick and Teddy Bluger, neither of whom played in the playoffs, they're out of their minds. Like, of course, we would have rather had Mark Stone for the other half of the season and not have those two because we could have fit Barbashev under the current construct of the cap. You know, it's just Quick's contract and Bluger's contract that we're going to be the problem. So, you know, like that, that's garbage. You know, it, Stone has done several different interviews where he said, hey, I knew that the timeline for recovery from this back surgery was X number of days. And so I knew I either needed to feel better or have the surgery by this date. I did a couple of therapy sessions. I did not feel better. I pulled the trigger so that I would have a chance to get back at the playoffs. You know what? He did it right. He timed it right. It worked out. You know, that, like I said, that first game was rough, but after that, he had a great playoffs. I mean, and that's the thing, man. What's so much different about this playoff run versus any other playoff run is the lack of scoring drought. No scoring droughts, you know? I mean, the opposite of that. And because of it is we had hot streaks at different times from Stone, from Carlson, from Marcheseau, from Eichel, you know, from Stevenson. They all had their their little hot streaks, and no, none of them all had to be hot at the same time. It was just, you know, looking back on it, it was an absolutely dominating run. Right, and to your point about Mark Stone, I had done a story, I think it was after the Winnipeg series, on Laurent Brassois and his ailing father. And my next target was Mark Stone, and the PR representative I went to was like, let me get back to you on it. And he came back and he's like, yeah, Mark's not comfortable in talking about this yet. Because what I had told my guy was, and I, I think I told this on the air, I had started noticing when you go back to availability, basically when you're done, they'll say, okay, Cassidy up in five. Basically, kind of just they trail off. Mark's always – some of the stars, Mark, Eichel, the, the bigger name, right? They're, they're, they hang around. They talk to Dan Duva. They talk to Gary Lawless. They'll talk to Darren Millard. They talk to the guys that are doing the broadcast because they get their, that's where they get their extra sound bites that you hear before the game or so they have something to talk about in between periods. I noticed that Mark Stone was sitting on this PT pad. It's a, it's a blue foam cushion. A lot of PT uh, physical therapy places will use it for proprioception work where you're balancing on it one foot um, or you're doing, you know, just hopping stuff. He was using it's a heart. Like it's a, it's a, you know, uh, the foam, you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah. the, I can't think of the word, but anyway, he'd sit down on it gently. And when, there was one day where he got up off of it and he, and his locker is maybe six yards from the, uh, from the door to go be, you know, outside of the room. And he was walking so gingerly. And it reminded me of last season when he watching him grimace in so much pain, walking up and down the back of the press box when he was out before he had back surgery, the first one. And I was like, he's not necessarily right. He's still not, you know, he's, he's, he's sore. He's hurt. He's still feeling the effects of it. He could play. He's just, he's probably getting a lot of treatment, probably getting a lot of, you know, uh, fascial, fascial stretch therapies, probably getting, you know, just a lot of extra work done to be able to play. And he just, they didn't want to talk about it. You know why? Because what we saw, look at Matthew Kachuk. He was mm -hmm. playing with the broken bone after get through game three, when he left and came back and he scored the game winning goal. These guys are playing hurt. I want to move on to some of the decisions that were made over the years.
And we've all been critical, right? Because it was not that it flew in the face of common sense, but they made bold moves. I mean, you fire two coaches, right? People are going to freak out. You move on from some of the heroes from the first team. People are going to freak out. You spend, you know, good amounts of money on guys who, hey, last year, a lot of them weren't healthy. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, I'm not going to say I don't I don't like when people are like, everyone said this because not everyone said it on this show. Some of us said it. So I'll step up and go, you know, what, McCrimmon and McPhee nailed it on lots of fronts. Foley did a great job backing them up. So kudos, guys. Sorry, we were wrong. Yeah, well, and I'll, the the one that I was, I don't even know if I was, if critical is the right word, but the most shocked by was Gallant. Like, I, I think I said on air, I was okay with letting PDB go. Number one, it was always kind of, sort of weird that he was here in the first place, <laughs> yeah. but but because of special teams, I was like, we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, his system is, is not built for the playoffs. His system only goes so far. It's proven team after team. Yes, he can get in the playoffs and yes, he can move, but he can't get all the way there. And man, what I loved about watching Cassidy, that, especially in the playoffs, but leading up to it too, is like in between periods, our team got better. In between games in the same series, our team got better. Like, we did not get outcoached ever in this in this playoff run. You know, we were the ones doing the outcoaching. So there, they did it right, man. I thought, you know, if you keep firing a coach every two and a half years, that might be tough. You know, I didn't. I, you know, there's the Nate Schmidt one was a, a was tough. Right? Yeah, it was tough. Yep. You know, Tuck for me, who was my favorite player, was tough. Um, I was I was worried that wasn't going to pay. Eichel out. was tough. I mean, the yeah. guy wasn't he wasn't ready to go. He wasn't well, healthy. I mean. Sending you know? Tuck out for Eichel. Yeah, that was craziness. We're going to talk to Kevin Kruger, UNLV coach, about the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame in about fifteen, but a little more with Justin Watkins here. Championship Wednesday. It's Cofield and Company live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Back here, Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Willie and Cofield. We're going to talk to Kevin Kruger in about 10 minutes about the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. Boy, so much to get to, and there's a lot to look forward to this summer. But uh, I, I think today is mostly about celebrating the Knights, the players, the ownership, the management, and uh, you, the fans, getting rewarded for your intense following of this team from the very beginning, which means that I'm sure a lot of people are going to get into the merchandising end of things, and I mean buying the merchandise. I already got a message from the person who resides at Casa de Cofield, uh, the girlfriend, the SO, significant other. She loves sports swag. Okay. I got a message like, hey, I hit the sporting goods store. and got." I'm like, that's it. <laughs> and I axed out. I was like, here we go. What, well, what do we wind up getting today? What do we get? A thousand dollars worth of stuff. I didn't get any stuff yet, but I'm I'm definitely gonna get it. I'm gonna get the stuff for sure. But I have a question like for the audience, for you guys. You know, so you know, they go through the arena and they do some giveaways in the middle of the game. Yeah. Well, they did a giveaway where they were you know, it's like a roulette thing, and you say stop, and then you either get a jersey or a hat or a, or oh, really? something like that. But they were doing it was clear they were coming down our aisle oh, wow. and they were only doing jerseys. Everybody wanted jersey, yeah. which is the best thing on the yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And so they came to me. So I got the jersey, but now I'm trying to we won. Like that's a jersey that I got when we won the Stanley Cup. So I'm trying to figure out what do I make this gold jersey be? My first thought is that on the nameplate cup and the number six. Or do I do cup in six? Or is it just is it she understood? Six. 
You know, I don't know. I, it, it can't be. It can't be. It's got to be something unique for that game and yeah. for winning the Stanley Cup. What maybe put your uh, your section number, seat number, something tie in something, personalize mm. it with six. Okay. You know Do that. Well, anybody's got ideas. Tweet it to me. Okay. I'm, I'm, I want to. I want to get that right. At Battleborn JW. That's right. Could be like I'm trying to think of a creative way to stick it back at the uh, Avs fans who attacked you up at that arena. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Avs fans. I were remember. On this. Well, the, hey, the Florida fans. I was down in Florida for games three and four. They weren't so cheery either. Um, they're, they're they're not great either. But uh, I mean, kind kind of subdued. But you know, the thing that the the thing that I hold on to about uh, what's going on against you know in in discussion about Florida is you know, national media is like, oh man, they ran out of gas and they were so beat up and you know Kachuk, if Kachuk had been healthy, how would it have been different? It's like, well, dude, that's the style of play that they play. Mm -hmm. They play this style to try to do that to others, and inevitably over the course of you know six weeks, right. it's gonna happen to you. Yep, right. You know the Stanley right. Cup is a is a war of attrition. Yeah. And, by, by the way. So was the NBA, and we can do this narrative with lots of champions that, oh, they got breaks and this, and these guys got hurt. Yeah, it's part of the sport. Yep. And to your point, yep. that's the way they play. That's right. I mean, I would ask a lot of people, did the injured players, did they fall at home? Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe part of it was the physicality that the big, strong Knights you know, dealt out, especially they were pressed yep. to play that game. And they're like, okay, let's go. Well, yeah. Now we're going to break you in freaking half. And yep. what I've been saying this whole playoffs, if you remember, Cofield's like, Let's get past Winnipeg before you start saying, who do you want first, Kings or Oilers? And I was on the side of saying, we want the Oilers. If you are a Golden Knights fan, if we're in the media, we want to cover and you want to keep covering this team to the Stanley Cup, get the Oilers because they play a faster game, less physical. Evander Kane eventually had to result to tactics, but the Kings would have been a, the Kings would have been a similar physical matchup like the Panthers, and you didn't want that kind of matchup early on in the playoffs. Problem for Florida is they ran up a team, ran up against a team that's Bigger, bigger, as strong, yep. can play physical, but can play fast too. Yep. No, that's that's it. It's like, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of uh, poetic justice that Kachuk breaks his sternum the day after or the game after, you know, he said in press conference, like, well, hey, Eichel, you skate over the middle, you're going to get laid out. That's what happens. Mm, okay. And then Cole Sar lays him out the next game and it broke his sternum. And there's Eichel getting two assists a game, three on the last. Last 20 seconds. Parade. We'll go over the route. It's going to be a seven-piece start on Saturday. You going to go? I'm going. Bringing the girls. Family affair. Oh, no. I might start crying again like I did around 3.30. Reno, stick with us. Vegas. We got uh, much more on the way here on Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Great week around Las Vegas as Stanley Cup is staying in Vegas. It'll be bouncing around the country and Canada and who knows where else it'll go. Parade's coming up on Saturday. Uh, really the biggest thing that's happened in this city for a major championship since UNLV did it. Willie, back in 1990, we're going to hit on your story that you did for the Sporting Tribune a little later on. It's also Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame week where we honor those in Southern Nevada who've uh, done so much for sports. And it's a lot of people who laid the groundwork for what's going on right now. Kevin Kruger is very familiar with one of the inductees. It's Lon Kruger. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well. How y'all doing? We're good. 
I mean, pretty exciting stuff, and we'll we'll get to uh, the Knights here in a second. But I wanted to get right to it with your dad. Uh, he's he's in a lot of Hall of Fames now. So for you, what does this one mean? Because his run at UNLV really was special. You know, considering what he had to you know rebuild and uh, the, you know the pressure there is to coach at UNLV. Yeah, I think uh, I think you just kind of worded it best. I think you know ever since uh, Tark. Uh, you know, stopped coaching here. It's, uh, there's been an expectation that just uh, has been, you know, kind of tough to to reach, and, and and an understanding that at the same time that there's a the fans expect and, and want it to be at a, at a certain level. And I think uh, just kind of what he did, to, you know, to be a, kind of taken, you know, notice now is, is it's fun to see and it's special. And like all of them, I mean, they're all they're all a great. Uh, you know, honor and an achievement and, you know, something he dedicated his life to. And uh, I think as you guys have seen in Southern Nevada, especially he's uh, how much they, him and my mom love it here. And uh, so I, it's good to see. What do you think it'll mean for him? You know, the UNLV element and the Southern Nevada ties. I think it'll be special for him. I mean, he's, you know, like you said, he's in a lot of all the fans right now uh, compared to probably the normal person, but uh you know, at K State, you know, he had a playing and a coaching career. You know, and then you know, in the high school. Uh, you know, of a of a base to it. Whereas this one is, you know, it's a it's a chapter in his life that, you know, he was a part of, he enjoyed, and and he and he loved, and my mom loves. So I think I think it's actually probably ranks pretty high up there for him. Just. uh you know, just to, to kind of, you know, just be kind of recognized for, for a time in his life that I think him and my mom really enjoyed. How cool was it for you? And we're talking to Kevin Kruger, uh, current head coach of UNLV Run Rebels basketball. Lon Kruger's going into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. How special is it for you looking back that, you know, all those teams make the NCAA tournament, you were part of the team that actually made the Sweet 16, had a longer run. So what does that mean for you that you did that with your father? Oh, it's it's incredibly special. You know, I was joking with him that our team should be in the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and uh, you know, just kind of messing with him a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it just it makes it even kind of more special because I I do share in a piece of it, um, just like all the all the players that played for him here and all the coaches that worked with him here um, get to do. And I think that's probably what makes this one maybe even. A little bit more special for him is just because of uh, you know it's, it's specific to his time at UNLV and everybody that worked with him um, here and, and played for him here can kind of share in it and I think uh, and so I think that makes it a little bit more unique. So leading up to last night, Kev, a lot of us old schoolers here in Las Vegas uh, were you know had the topic of who laid the foundation for sports in Las Vegas. This is now a pro sports town, but for someone who's been here since '72, I can appreciate that. I, you know, see Sports Foundation being laid by UNLV basketball. When you played here, that's all that this town, you know, outside of the Las Vegas might have been the 51s at that time, but the the minor league ball club, you know, in a sense, that was, you were still part of a program that was part of a foundation that, you know, where people love sports and still growing the love for it. Now there's a WNBA championship and a Stanley Cup uh, champion, you can appreciate as a player what it was like to be beloved as the only game in town and now as a coach, part of a bigger sports landscape. 
Well, without a question, I think, you know, the beginning you said the laying the foundation, I think obviously that begins and ends with Tark. Um, just so, you know, this is kind of helping put Vegas even on a map, a nationally map, and then, of course, just with sports as well. But, yeah, I think, you know, if, you know, you say you've been here a long time. I know Cofield has. I, I kind of consider myself, you know, almost 20 years being in Vegas that, you know, you hear the term, you know, it's still a small town thrown around a lot. And, uh, yeah. but I think it, it, we've gotten to the point now where it's, it, like you said, I mean, there's multiple, you know, professional sports franchises here. There's a major college, uh, sports program here. And, uh, so I think it's, uh, it, it, it's great to see the growth. I think it's exciting. I think, uh, you know, people do kind of wonder about the competition, you know, within the city of each other. But I think, uh, you know, there, there's there's plenty of people that like different sports that, you know, are willing to go to multiple venues, support multiple teams across different types of leagues and, and sports to where, you know, everybody can thrive in this city, which is, I think, uh, you know, what we're seeing. The Aces winning, uh, the Knights winning, um, the Raiders obviously is a, is a, <laughs> a global brand. So uh, I, I think it's just great for the city. Well, let's stay in that direction. Aces win. Uh, as you mentioned, we got the Raiders here. Now you got the Knights winning a world championship. What does that do for you and UNLV basketball when you go on the recruiting trail and also keeping kids home? Well, I think as much as anything, you know, I think uh, it, it, it hits much more home locally, of course. Uh, but I think it just, it just ramps up the sports interest. Uh, you know, I, I don't think necessarily, you know, whether the Aces win or whether the Knights win, Raiders what have you. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily means we're going to get a, another recruit or a recruit that we like, but I do think, especially locally, I think it, it just it heightens the interest in sports. I think you're going to see you know, even more sports, more time on the news, more social media hits, more whatever it may be. You know, The interest in maybe going out and checking a, an Aviators game if you haven't been to one, or a Run and Rebel game, or whatever it may be. I just think uh, you know, winning by sports teams, regardless of what uh, sport it is, I just think it, uh, it just continues to you know, increase the the attention and the and the dedication that's put to to sports within the city, which only helps everyone. Kevin Kruger is with us, uh, head coach of UNLV basketball. You got to take us behind the recruiting curtain because I haven't had a chance to talk to you since DJ Thomas signed, reclassified. What you guys do is really incredible because you you tie a lot of your existence to starting to pitch guys who are 13, 14, 15 years old. You got to go like four or five years in a lot of cases. Follow the guy. So, what was the path like to get? DJ, and then, you know, how did it feel, you know, a couple weeks out to find out, hey, we got him. The hard work paid off. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, oddly enough, my my wife and I were talking about this last night because she even said, she was like, well, what what would it even compare to that somebody who isn't a coach or hasn't recruited, like, what would that kind of be like? And I I mean, I guess the, the best thing would be like somebody, a salesman trying to, you know, get a, get a, get a, a deal or get a, a, a business yeah. to kind of team up with. Um, but you know, one of one that can take years, as you just mentioned. So uh, I think it's a little unique in that aspect. But uh, it, re- recruiting can be really tough, just because you build relationships, and then you know, per NCAA rules and kind of respect to other coaches, if they decide to go a different direction, you pretty much just you just kind of cold turkey stop communication, and um, it's a little it can be weird at times. But at the same time, you know, when you've got a kid like. Uh, DJ or any local kid or anybody that you spend time with and they decide you go to your school, it, it far outweighs uh, the happiness of that far outweighs anything that uh, would be on the other end. So, But uh, incredibly hard work between BP, Coop, uh, 
Jamal, I mean, just you know, making it, trying to make the Thomases feel as much like this is a great decision for the entire family and not just DJ as possible. And I think uh, at the end of the day, that's probably uh, one of the major reasons they decided to stay. You play the position point guard. Why is this kid special? Uh, I played it. Um, certainly not to the level that he's shown or to the level that most people have shown for that matter. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just, you know, having somebody that, that understands the position, the importance of, of getting the ball where it needs to be, the right decision at the right time. Um, but what, what we were so bad at last year is how much we turned it over. And we just we threw it to the other team about as much as we threw it to ourselves. And while we created a lot of turnovers, it just kind of made every game a coin flip in a lot of areas. And when you have somebody that's played the position since they were born, um, it, it's just there, there's a lot of positives that can, can go with a person like that and a player like that that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Um, just into you know they could make somebody else's job a little bit easier. They could be a little more disruptive defensively. Just things that they're 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 kind of always been doing because I've, I've said for a long time that uh, point guards are born, they're not made, um, and, and I, it actually started, I remember it's the first time I said it, talking about Curtis Terry. You know, he was a leader, and, you know, he was born in a, in a, into a, a situation in a life where, you know, he, he made leadership decisions and he showed it on the court, and that's why even though he didn't play a lot of point guard growing up, he, he, he was born into a role that, like that, and that's why he succeeded there, and I think a lot – uh, a lot of similarities are there with DJ Thomas just in terms of being in that situation his whole life. Kevin Kruger's with us. Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame is coming up. The induction ceremony on Friday. Lon Kruger is going in. Last couple things to close on. We appreciate the time. So the Knights win last night. I don't know if you were watching the game. Um, are you a hockey guy? And, and you know, I asked Barry Odom this earlier in the week. Um, all coaches kind of, you know, admire each other and take lessons from each other. Can you take stuff from hockey and actually apply it, whatever, philosophically, approach behind the scenes, leadership? Can you apply it to basketball? Oh, without a doubt. I think, uh, you know, I don't understand all of hockey. Um, I do, but I do enjoy watching the nights. Um, uh, without, yeah, so we were watching at our house. Um, we watched as many of the games throughout the playoffs and even the season as we can. Um, but without a doubt, enjoy watching them. The thing, oddly enough, the thing I remember – the sticking out to me even a couple years ago going to the first night's game I ever went to is they don't have time to complain. They don't have time to feel sorry for themselves. There is no time out there to do anything but worry about what's next. If it's getting, you know, the puck stopped going the other direction, that's all that matters. If it's going to try to take advantage in a situation, that's all that matters. I think so much can be learned from that just across all sports because if they drop their head, if they complain to a ref, if they yell at a teammate, whatever it may be, all they're doing is hurting their team, and they don't have enough time for that. It can it can cost them a goal, and, and goals are obviously um, hard to come by. Well, with the exception of last night, apparently. The Knights showed how to do that pretty well. But uh, I think there, there can be something learned right there, just how quickly they have to get over something and move on and, and try to continue to be productive. Uh, we got 30 seconds left. I know uh, there's going to be a team in the TBT that has a lot of UNLV alums. We, we can talk about that further when we have some more time, but I would hope that a a bunch of the, the guys from uh, your team that made the Sweet 16 are going to be there tomorrow night. I know we're getting Anthony Marshall on. Um, it's cool, man. I, I like the fact that, that you know, you're, you're kind of tying back to the alums and getting a team in the TBT. Oh, absolutely. I think it's awesome that there's a team in there. Uh, crosses multiple, uh, you know, 
they weren't all teammates at the same time. So you get a, a handful of different teammates and different uh, coaching staffs, but blending them together and, and it's just great to see. It's, I think it's a, another great step for the program for, for those guys that, you know, showing that UNLV is on the right path. They're, they're proud to be associated with UNLV. And I think anytime you can put that group together in that type of tournament, I think it's awesome. Thanks for the time, Coach, and uh, we'll see you out there on Friday. And uh, congrats to uh, Lon, and really the family's getting honored here on on Friday. So really neat, really neat. All right, appreciate you guys. There he is, Kevin Kruger, head coach of the Runner Rebels. Massive recruiting call in the offseason. And, uh, yeah, you know, the more you look back on that Lon Kruger era here at UNLV, Willie, it was pretty special. You're making a lot of NCAA tournaments on that run.